Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. So sometimes getting a group ritual to feel cohesive and together is kind of difficult. It, sometimes it just flows. Uh, especially if you've got a working group that's been doing it for a long time and it just kind of works. And sometimes it just doesn't. And there are tips and, and things like that that I'm sure that we could give to, to groups that are either just starting out or who've been working for a little bit and have had some trouble finding that cohesion. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Yeah, I think one of the easiest first steps um, is scripting a ritual all the way through by only one or two people. Because one of the things I found when we've done, um, so with the um, pandemic and moved to virtual, we ended up fully scripting a lot of our rights. Yeah. Um, and just by the nature of people's mental load and what they were able to take on, most of the time it ended up being written by one person. Um, whereas in the past we've had scripts where everyone writes their own part and then we stick them all together. Yep. Um, which, when it's people who've been working together for a long time, you kind of understand what everyone else's voices are. Yeah, and your voices kind of dovetail. Yeah, but when it's, um, people who are newer to that process, sometimes you end up with really mismatched parts just in... Uh, complexity and length and so the ritual can feel very piecemeal Um, versus when you when you write that whole script you can include like the same imagery throughout the throughout the script I know uh, when Mike wrote the uh, one the B one he incorporated uh, like imagery of honey and hives and geometric shapes throughout the script so that it just had kind of this like imagery that continued yeah I remember even the working on that was you know it was extremely bee centric with uh, a sigil wasn't it that had the the hexagonal honeycomb shape Um, and yeah, it, it carried that theme all the way through, and the having one person do that, the the work of cohesion, yeah, went a long way toward that. Yeah, so I think that's one of like the easiest first steps. Like it's a heavy load for one person, but um, 
if you're looking for a like a quick fix to cohesion and ritual, like that's a, a pretty good step, I think. Yeah, and I would say too that that doesn't mean that you have one person who writes all of your rituals. That means that you give one person the opportunity to write Samhain and another oh, yeah. person the opportunity to write Yule and you know, spread the work around. Yeah, I know there are some groves who have like a chief liturgist. Um, but even in those groves, it's not that person's job to write every ritual. It's their job to herd the cats and yes. delegate to different people to write. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I often recommend, especially to new groves, is develop a set of bookends that you can put around each of your ritual parts. And... I, I'm terrible with our bookends because the bookends that are ingrained in my head are actually Stone Creed's bookends by way of Six Night that came to us. Huh. Um, which is why mine always sound different is because I'm, they, 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 they flow in my, in my mind and out my tongue better um, than the ones that we've written. Yeah. So I have a devil of a time remembering hours because I spent the first ten years of my my ritual life. Um, Let's see if I can do it. It's come to our fire spirits, uh, join us at our sacred fire and be warmed by our uh, good hearth. No, the other way around. Be, join us at our good fire and be warmed by our sacred hearth. Uh, aid us and guide us as we walk the other ways. Spirits yeah. accept our offerings. Yeah, so... I, yeah, in, in my mind, it's it's difficult for me to say that versus come to our fire spirits, meet us at the boundaries, guide us in wars, walk the other ways. Yeah, so they are very similar, but... They are, and I mean, our bookends grew out of those bookends, yeah. so that makes good sense. Um, but yeah, and the other side of the bookends, of course, is Eternal Earth call out to... Yeah whomever um, and, and so you've got a start and an end and then once you've got the bookends you've got something to help each calling sound similar yeah even if the the text that's in the middle deviates in length complexity whatever um, the bookends tie, tie it together it, tie them together yeah. yeah now when you're trying to create from, from disparate voices um, something that seems similar if you've got bookends if you also say alright so we're going to do three lines or three stanzas of four lines or whatever it might be to, to fill that in you can at least get the length to start to match mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be exact it doesn't have to be thematic it doesn't have to be all this stuff but the bookends will, will tie things together nicely. The length is kind of step number two, I tend to think, if you could get the length kind of close. And then um, if you can also get, you know, we want three ideas in those three stanzas and, you know, here's what we want you to, to focus on. You know, maybe it's head, heart, hands. Maybe it's land, sea, sky. Maybe it's, you know, three worlds whatever it is, you can sort of call out to the same kind, or the, the same kinds of places, or the same kinds of things, and draw them in. And 
and that'll also help tie things together, especially with the three kindred evocations. I end up, when I do mine, I use the bookends, and then most often my three kindreds end up being uh, the three functions within each kindred. Yeah, I'm very much more of a here and now sort of mental space with that stuff, so I think, you know, spirits of the sky, spirits of the land, spirits of the, the underworld kind of yeah. breakdown is usually how I do it um, if I don't have any particular direction to do it any other way and then uh, it, and part of that too is I, I listen to who goes before me yeah me too <laughs> I, I think that's a, a key thing for creating that cohesiveness is you listen to who went before you and you follow their lead it doesn't matter who they are it doesn't matter what their experience level is the 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 point of creating flow is not showing off. It is matching who went first. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're least experienced and least skilled person who has the most stage fright goes first, they might be real short. And that's okay. And then your ritual is going to be shorter. Your and that's fine. going to be shorter <laughs> and everyone's going to get to potluck faster. It's great. <laughs> Absolutely great. Um, so, the... But the point is, trust your other ritualists, in that case, and follow their lead. Because the benefits of creating something more cohesive far outweigh, I think, the benefits of trying to save the ritual. Yeah. um, and, And accidentally, you know, making it, making the flow obviously choppy. Because if you're more experienced and if you've got more understanding about how to write these, if, you, if you're if you more confident, whatever it may be, whatever the person who went before you is lacking, um, you're going to, you're not going to inadvertently hurt their feelings by showing them up and you're not going to create a space where things seem choppy um, if you follow their lead. Yeah, I think one of the other parts um, that I like to call uh, performing the bardic lasso uh, is if you have a person who is in charge of um, all of the non-speaking parts of ritual, um, often, at least in our grove, it falls to whoever's doing the bardic work. Um, So it's the person who's in charge of the songs and... um, filling the empty space while speaking parts aren't happening. Because I think a lot of times the flow and ritual can get interrupted when there's dead time, and it allows people to drop out of that, like, ritual mindset and back into the mundane mindset, and then it's hard to kind of pick everyone back up to, to get them moving again. Yeah. And so, it's, it's part, um, just like theater skills of being able to vamp when you need to um, and being able to make sure there's not dead time, but there's also um, like energy work that's involved where like I literally envision it as this lasso that like you send around the ritual space as you're doing the bardic work that like holds everyone's focus inside the circle. See, when you use 
rodeo analogies, <laughs> I, I envision everyone getting hogtied. No, no, it's the, into the space. No, no, you're totally wrong. <laughs> hogtied ritual. Okay. No, no, that is no. <laughs> you're on your own for that one. <laughs> Alright. I'm sure there are listeners who are right there with me. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing, too, though, is um, sometimes things go super wrong in ritual, and figuring out how to, how to deal with that is, is something you need those skills for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your fire escapes from the fire pit, or your fire dies completely. That's not an uncommon thing, you know, if, if the person who was in charge of the fire, you know, happens to let it go out, or you forgot to assign someone to, to or watch Or you the were fire. just using candles and it got windy. And like, it got windy, yeah. <laughs> that happens all or, the time. Or your wick was too short and got swallowed up by the wax, like... We've definitely had that happen. We have. Very recently, in fact. It's only like nudity, right? That I, failed. And I have not purchased new candles yet, so... Yeah, we need to do that. But the... Uh, but yes, that... I mean, that sort of stuff does happen. And learning how to continue to speak to distract people from that or to fill that space to distract from the fact that something didn't go right... And also learning not to focus on it yourself well, is important. I would say in some cases, yes, but in other cases, especially if it's like a really obvious thing, is just acknowledging it and working it and in. Yeah. Well, and so like times when it's been very obvious that like the fire has gone out. Just in your words, adjusting what you say to like... Um, and now we rekindle this flame. <laughs> or, and even though the fire has gone out here, we know that it burns strong in our hearts and we continue to make offerings from our heart shrine. Like, it, yeah. it, you just acknowledge that, you know, a thing happened and... Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. That's very true. Because um, if you don't, then everyone's going to be like, do they, do they know that the fire went out? And it's going to totally draw the focus away. Yeah, or you're going to have someone who tries to be helpful. You also and, that. <laughs> and comes out and, and tries to kindle the fire while you really don't want someone there, you know, either drawing attention to it or distracting from something else that's going on or whatever. And it almost always happens from a place of, I want to help, you yeah. know? But when they want to help so badly that messes with the, uh, the process of ritual, you know, it, it's better to, to find ways around it yeah. where you can. Um, it, I think that it's important, though, to also assign parts and make sure that people know what they're doing. I don't think there's any minimum for the number of people you need to lead a good group ritual, um, though if I were going to say do a ritual for a festival or something like that where only a small portion of the grove could go, I would not commit to the grove doing a ritual if there were less than three people who were able to attend. I I would want at least three of us um, to go. And, And so, well, like I said, there's not a minimum for the number of people to do good group work. I, I think 
three is probably a pretty good number yeah. and a good place to start. Um, because then you've got enough to kind of rotate through parts. Yeah, and you can... So, like, for me, I... Like, you don't want the same person being the seer and doing the waters, necessarily, yeah. in group work. Because then it's like, okay, well, I've seen what we're doing, and now I'm going to be the one to put them in things. It just feels very, uh, I don't know. It's weird to me. It feels like writing your own performance review. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, which is awkward for a lot of people, but... And that's why when I'm running a ritual... I try not to do the omen. You know, it's, yeah. it's very, very similar well, there. For me, like, when if I'm doing the omen, I really don't want any other parts in ritual. Yeah. Because I like sitting in kind of that, like, half-trance state and being open to the spirits throughout the whole thing and then taking the formal omen and going from there. Um, yeah. But that's, that's my personal preference. Yeah, and it's something that we have the luxury of doing with a fairly large group. Yeah. Um, we can assign one person one part and they can do that one part uh, and, and hopefully all groves get to that level at some point mm -hmm. but if you can't no biggie as well though we do try to not put people in consecutive parts right. which is why three is a good number so yeah. you can not have you know, one person you, you don't want to ping pong attention <laughs> between two points um, but I think the most important thing is is not that you have a certain number of people but more that you have people on the same page yeah and that you've talked about the ritual and that you've you've gotten to a place where everyone's got some buy-in on it you know whether they've written their own parts or they've had input into their parts, or they've found a way to make it their own, um, they should have some kind of ownership of their part. And that ownership, like I said, it can be obtained in a number of different ways, whether they're writing it or whether they're just reading it and internalizing it. Either one of those is fine. Sorry, the person next to me keeps speeding up when I'm trying to... I notice that. <laughs> ...not get tailgated by the other person behind me. <laughs> Very inconvenient. And the other thing to think about, too, is that the larger that your group gets, and, and the more people that you have, either attending or participating, the more visible things have to be, like the physical things in your space... And so, when we do ritual for 300 people at the Dublin Irish Festival, mm -hmm. for example, we can't use the small silver beads that we have for most of our, right. our well offerings because they're too small to see from the back. So we've got a larger coin yeah. that we can hold up and then people can see you're holding something up at least. Right. Um, and... So as your as your organization and your uh, your virtual attendees and virtual participants expand, you've got to kind of start upgrading your material stuff as well, which is a, a basic theater right. issue. Um, it's not a I don't consider it a spiritual issue outside of the fact that if someone can't see it, they can't tell you're doing it. 
which means that they don't know how to participate. So, you know, you, you have to think about those theatrical considerations as well, especially when you start growing beyond, say, 20 to 30 people. Yeah. Under 20 to 30, I don't think it matters nearly as much because you're not working in, you know, that large theatrical presentational mode that you end up with. We've had kind of the same problem, though, with Zoom rituals because you can't see that three-pixel-sized yeah. piece of silver. You need something bigger for that. Keep right onto New York State Thruway South so, Boston. The, uh, the, there are, it, it's interesting how the consideration kind of shifted a little bit there because now you're further away from the camera and the camera has resolution issues that yeah. your eyes don't have and so things have to get larger for that as well as, as well as making sure you're not distracting things that are going to pop up in your background yeah well and with that it's not even just um, prop size but also like um, uh, like motion and gesture Yeah. Um, to make sure that they are intentional and big enough to for people to recognize that they're intentional and they're different. Yeah. Um, well, and coordinated sometimes too, because when we do Dublin, we generally coordinate our gate openings. Yeah, yeah. Because there are, and our waters as well, because we've both got a pitcher. Yep. And we're both standing up there and we're doing the same sickle motions. Yeah, yeah. the same motions with our hands and our sickles and you know, elevating them at the same time. And you and I are pretty good about matching. Watching each other and matching, yeah. yeah. Um, but as you add more people to it, you may need to rehearse. I mean, we rehearse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we at least have some idea. Well, and it's also, like, when you talk about group cohesion, I mean, ours grew kind of organically, but our hand positions, like when we call the kindreds, yep. you know, our, we stand palms down when we call the ancestors and kind of like jazz hands when we call the nature spirits i'm palms up because jazz hands is kind of weird (laughs) and we and we stand palms up or like full-on orans uh when we call the shining ones i know when you and i call the earth mother we've got one hand in orans and the other hand is palm down um and like some groups you know everyone kisses the earth or kneels and touches the earth um yeah and so just those things that grow organically with motions can contribute to that feeling of cohesion and togetherness yeah and group, and group mind i mean honestly we used to to kneel and kiss the earth as well many years ago but at some point i realized that this was if even if it wasn't yet it was going to be terribly inaccessible to our membership um, because not everyone can kneel, not everyone can get down on the ground and get back up. Yep. And frankly, as I get older, I'm also <laughs> trying to make sure that I can, I've got a plan for getting up when I get down. <laughs> um, so instead of that kneeling, I always do the, the significantly more accessible. I stand with my left hand down and my right hand up for the earth mother. Um, and it's been interesting to, to kind of see how that has shifted uh, within our growth and to, to watch other people do that as well. Um, 
And I like the way that it looks and feels. Yeah, me it too. It turns out. <laughs> me too. I, I always liked being able to kneel and kiss the earth, but I actually really like this this position that I do too. I never liked kneeling and kissing the earth. It was yeah. never my thing. Well, that doesn't surprise me even a little. No? <laughs> it surprises me a little. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that you need to consider when you're trying to create that group cohesion. One of the things that we sometimes talk about is enthusiasm as well. Yeah. Uh, because enthusiasm is something that is contagious and uh, that other people will pick up on. And I, I tell people all the time when we do ritual stuff that if you know, if someone hasn't shown up, if we're having to do something last minute, if there's a if there's a change that we're not ready to make, um, we don't speak badly about it and suggest that the rite's not going to be as planned um, during the pre-ritual briefing. What we want to say instead is, you know. We've got a. What I used to hear is I used to hear us sometimes say stuff like, um, "Okay, we're going to we're going to run a uh, Cleveland Browns offense, which is we're going to drop back six yards and punt." Okay. <laughs> and um, and that is not what we're intending to do. Is, is to tell people that. You know, we're not prepared or we're not planned. We want them to think, no, we, we know what we're doing. And maybe not everything has lined up in the way we expect it to, but it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. And we're going to make this work. So I'm not suggesting, you know, lie to the people who have arrived. Right. For sure. Um, but instead, you know don't make a big deal out of the fact that plans have changed. Don't make a big deal out of the fact that um, things are different than expected. Because nobody knows except you unless you tell them. Right. And that is that is such an important point, particularly when it comes to stage fright and yeah. trying to, to manage this whole process of religious work. Nobody knows that you're doing it wrong Unless you tell them you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so don't tell them that you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, keep that enthusiasm up. Make sure that everyone is able to get onto that same page. And run with it. And it'll all come out fine. Yep. Thanks for listening. And there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.